So uh, for this episode um, of the podcast, we decided we wanted to try to bring in someone who could explain the ins and outs of uh, uh, antitrust law, which is some pretty obscure stuff. And uh, so we've, we've brought in um, Seth Bloom, who is one of the foremost experts on this this area of law. He worked at the Justice Department during their um, sort of landmark case, uh, antitrust case against uh, Microsoft. And I think it's important for us to take a look at this uh, uh, issue because of the monopolies that are right now destroying journalism by stripping out our, our ad revenue. And so we can really understand exactly how that works, why it's uh, problematic, and what the government can do and is not yet doing. I'm John Stanton, and this is The 30. Um, Seth, thank you very much for, for joining us this week. Thank you for the invitation. Um, my first question for you, I guess, is um, uh, when you were uh, a child, what, did little Seth dream of being um, an antitrust lawyer? You know, more likely an astronaut than an antitrust lawyer, okay. but I seem to have fallen into this, so that's all right. <laughs> well, I mean, give me a little bit of a, a background on that. Sure. Like, How did you end up becoming... Well, I was I, so I've been been work how to becoming a lawyer or becoming an antitrust lawyer. Yeah, yeah, so I was I was working at a at a law firm in D.C. about twenty five years ago, twenty and uh, and then I I actually saw an ad for the Justice Department's antitrust division. I was interested in the subject and uh, I applied, and they were looking for litigators, and that's how I ended up really in the antitrust field. I worked for three years at the Justice Department's antitrust division as a as a trial lawyer. Before that time, I really hadn't specialized in antitrust. And I did that from 1996 to 1999. Uh, and then I moved over to the U.S. Senate, where I worked for the Judiciary Committee's Antitrust Subcommittee for almost 14 years. For the last four years of that as general counsel of the Antitrust Subcommittee. So that's how I, I sort of made my way into this field. You worked for uh, Senator Cole, right? That's correct. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah, he, uh, he was a four-term senator, 24 years as a senator from Wisconsin, a Democrat from Wisconsin. When I started, he was the ranking member on the Antitrust Subcommittee and eventually became the chairman as the Democrats took control of, uh, of, the, of the Senate. Uh, uh, in 2001, they lost it, and then in 2006. And so I was there till the end of uh, 2012 when he retired. He was an interesting character. I covered him a little bit. And I always liked talking to him because he was one of those kind of members with, that uh, when you were talking to them, you had to be very... Um, <laughs> careful in how you ask questions, mm -hmm. and then you had to be very careful to listen to all of his words and the words he was not saying. That's true. When he would answer questions. And you know, he's a very unusual senator. He, he got his start in business. His family started the Coles chain, which started as a grocery store chain in, in Wisconsin, and then obviously uh, is today sort of a mid-price uh, department store chain uh, nationwide. His family uh, sold, the, the stores went public in 1987, and uh, he, so he, he was the CEO up until that time, and then he decided to do something else. He did two things. One of them was to run for Senate, and he won. But the other one was to buy the Milwaukee Bucks NBA <laughs> franchise, which was uh, quite a coup for him. He, he bought that franchise for $17 million in, uh, in 1987, as I recall the number. Wow. And, and it was sold in, in, uh, 19, in 2005 for $500 million. Wow. So oh. that was a very smart investment. Yeah, right? <laughs> but he was very unique because he, he was a wealthy man, and he self-financed his, his campaigns. So working for him on the staff meant one didn't have to worry about uh, fundraising and mm -hmm. what the, the fundraisers wanted. They were completely free of that. It self-financed his campaigns, and it, that was one of the things that was unique about him. 
It was unique that he was a pro sports owner, the only one in the <laughs> Senate, uh, I think before or since. Yeah. And, um, but he was a very smart man and uh, really was, you know, although he, he was chairman of the antitrust subcommittee, he wasn't a lawyer. He was a businessman. He was very much into it. You know, what was the consumer's interest? Very practical. <laughs> and you could definitely talk to him. And uh, it, it, he, he was a joy to work for. It was really, really enjoyed it. I was there, as I say, almost 14 years. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I, so if you could do me a favor, because I'm an idiot and um, a little simple-minded. <laughs> and so um, if you could explain exactly what it is that um, antitrust law is and, yeah. and how that interacts with our lives. That's a very good question. I mean, antitrust law in the United States started around 1890 when they passed the Sherman Act, the first statute. Uh, and the, the point of it is, is to protect competition for the benefit of consumers. And there's a, there's a saying in antitrust law, uh, it, it, it's, to, it's to protect c c competition, not competitors, mm -hmm. which is sort of a paradoxical saying, because how can you have competition without competitors? Mm -hmm. But the idea is that the point of it is, is to remove uh, you know, hindrances to competition so that as much as possible your competition leading to lower prices and higher quality and innovation. Now that's sort of the theory of it. The problem is that antitrust is a very vague law. There's, there's three essential provisions. One of them says that combinations, conspiracies, and restraint of trade are illegal. Uh, that's Sherman Act Section 1. Another one says that uh, uh, attempts to monopolize, monopolization is illegal and the, that's Sherman Act Section 2. And the, the third main provision is, is Section 7 of the Clayton Act, which prohibits mergers, which may tend to substantially lessen competition. Mm -hmm. All those terms are very vague. What is monopolization? What is a restraint of trade? What is, uh, you know, substantially lessening competition? And so there's an enormous amount of, of discretion left to those who enforce the law, you know, the, the government that decides whether or not to bring antitrust cases, or private parties can bring cases, then it, but ultimately the judge has to decide, you know, what, vi what kind of conduct violates these statutory provisions, and it's really vague and very discretionary. So you see antitrust go back and forth over the years <laughs> um, in terms of the, 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 the vigorousness of its enforcement. And, uh, but that's my basic primer on antitrust. It's really looking after uh, consumers to make sure they realize the benefits of competition in forms of lower prices, better quality, more innovation. Hmm. And I can get more detail than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it does sound to a bit, though, that, that like determining a monopoly or determining something that violates antitrust is a bit like porn, right? You know, you know it when you see it. You, you know Although you different see people it. seeing it will still see it differently. Well, see it right. differently. And that it changes kind of over time it depending on how time. the country is and mm -hmm. you know, the thinking on things. That's interesting. Absolutely true. And you know, we, we saw an enormous amount of vigor in antitrust 100 years ago, mm -hmm. when in Teddy Roosevelt time, and I guess this is 2019, so actually now it's a little past, maybe 105, 110 years ago. And, uh, and then we saw antitrust get a little bit quiet over the, you know, say from the 1970s, 80s, 90s, and uh, some critics would say it went to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and it, particularly uh, in, in Republican administrations, like the Reagan administration, like the George W. Bush administration, and it was taken over with, with a view that, um, you know, uh, well, and, uh, the Chicago School, which is a complicated area. Robert Bork was a primary um, advocate of, of the views of the Chicago School, and something called the Consumer Welfare Standard developed, which I think, and we can talk about it more, but it, it, antitrust is supposed to serve consumer welfare. To me, that's fine, but some people interpreted that to mean you know a limited role for antitrust only if prices really went up hmm. and uh, 
and some conservatives, so that commentators felt that way. So the, the room for antitrust to operate was really reduced. Um, now I think we've seen antitrust come back into, it, into the fore. <laughs> and we see it as a topic of presidential debates. As we saw, you know, in the last, uh, uh, this is the date of this is mid-October. We had a debate a couple of days ago. It was a major, it was a major subject. And it was also actually the second question after the first Democratic presidential debate. Mm -hmm. And I, in, in my, my years of following presidential debates, which are more years than I care to admit to, <laughs> I had never heard antitrust as a topic at all. Uh, and, uh, you know, if they had presidential debates at the time of Teddy Roosevelt, maybe it would have been, but they didn't. So it's really moved to the fore. And we, and we have a convergence of uh, the left and right on this right now, which is really interesting. Because, you know, the left has always been suspicion of big bigness, big mm -hmm. business or, or monopolies, companies growing too big. And, uh, and that's been the truth. But, but the right has sort of favored a limited role for government, government intervention. But now we see, particularly when it comes to tech companies like Google, uh, Facebook too, uh, we see an enormous amount of criticism coming from the right. And I think a lot of that comes from suspicion that these, these companies like Google and Facebook are biased against conservative, mm -hmm. which of course these companies, the, these companies hotly deny. But at least, you know, people like uh, Senator Hawley of Missouri, uh, Ted Cruz of Texas, and the president as well are very suspicious of Google, and they say, well, they're, you know, they're not allowing conservative voices to, to rise. So, th so they favor looking at Google, Facebook too, from uh, that perspective, and the and the and the left people like Elizabeth Warren, let's let's break them up, and uh, and and Senator Blumenthal is another example from the left. So we see this convergence of the left to right now favoring really strong antitrust enforcement, at least when it comes to these these big tech companies, which is uh, it's a unique moment. And yeah. as I say, it's a major topic of debate now in in, in, in political life. Well, I do think that you know there was. Uh, I think you're, for, as, as much as the public certainly is aware of antitrust, it, it has always been something that was a historical fact, right? Like for us, like standard, and it's oil, just right. standard oil guys with monocles and top hats and you yeah. know three piece suits and right, you know uh, right the robber yeah. barons, right? And and yeah. it does seem that now um, that that image, that cartoonish image, is being replaced with tech bros and sweater yeah. vests and mm -hmm. Chuck Taylors, right. you know, and like fifty thousand dollar Rolexes and and. That's um, right. And it's interesting that this is, in this moment in our history, this is sort of happening. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, the thing about it is, I think antitrust is a flexible doctrine. So there's been a, there's been a lot of uh, discussion, should it, does it need to be updated? And I'm of the view that it really doesn't, that the doctrine, because of the vagueness of the statute, really, is flexible enough that it, it was originally going after railroad monopolies in the 1890s, and now it can go after tech monopolies in, in, in the 2010s and 2020s. Um, I think the, the the statute and the theory works for both. So uh, yeah, we just have new forms of economic uh, power and uh, and people that w want to employ antitrust. And it's also had a populist view. You know, it was it was one of the reasons it started was small farmers felt they were being uh, exploited by the large railroads and large uh, food processors. And so you know, it had this populist you know uh, uh, view and, and, and support. And we see it again today, mm -hmm. where people are suspicious of really big companies. And, you know, some people, not everybody, but some people are. And it has, it has a real populist appeal. And that's why somebody like an Elizabeth Warren can so prominently feature it on her platform. Now, I, I mean, one, one question I'm, I'm curious about on this, and maybe it is because of the, the flexibility of, of the doctrine. Mm -hmm. You know, in my mind, I've always sort of thought of it as, um, like you said, like protect consumers, but also... Um, uh, Monopolies, right? Like having one company being just the right. company that does all this one thing, right. and 
today, right now, for instance, with, with Google and Facebook and mm-hmm. the ads, mm-hmm. the way they control the advertising market, sure. that is also hurting other industries as well, right? Like sort of ancillary industries That's like right. the journalism industry. Right. Um, is that a sufficient cause? Right. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not sure you say sufficient cause, but, but, but I'm, I'm going to sort of gonna, <laughs> gonna respond to some of what you said. You know, this is the interesting thing about antitrust too. So, and <laughs> the antitrust sort of encourages monopoly in the sense that it wants business to, to be the most innovative to have the lowest prices and sort of knock out its competitors. We want, the theory of antitrust is we want to encourage successful companies to be monopolies. But then once they're monopolies, they're subject to all kinds of scrutiny. And, but uh, it's not illegal to be a monopoly. Mm-hmm. What's illegal is to use your monopoly power to squash competition or to engage in what's called exclusionary or willful conduct. Mm-hmm. And it's engage in illegal acts of monopoly maintenance. That line is really hard to draw. <laughs> but uh, that's something to keep in mind about um, about monopoly. Now, when we think about you know Google and Facebook and their control over 60% of uh, digital advertising and over 90% of new digital advertising, I guess is the statistic, uh, that's really very harmful, obviously, to, to media properties uh, because they're not, they're not getting that revenues that they used mm-hmm. to get, and uh, they're really being starved of that, and, and, and it's led to you know enormous amount of dislocation, closures. I don't have to tell you folks, closures of of, of journalistic uh, enterprises. Very damaging, but for one to build an antitrust case about that, one has to uh, find uh, things that uh, Google or Facebook does that's uh, you know exclusionary, uh, that's uh, that's um, uh, that's uh, you know designed to suppress competition. Mm. It's not merely the size alone that makes them a target for antitrust. Could you talk a little bit more about actually the size question? I think that was that's because I think again, as a layman, I sort of always think that this is a question of just size. Right, but it's not. You know, it's not a question of just size. As I say, and this is why Robert Burr called it the antitrust paradox. We encourage companies to become monopolies. That's mm-hmm. thought to be a good thing, but it's when they abuse their monopoly power that's thought to be a bad thing. So it's more than just size, and uh, it's what they do with their size, and. Hmm. Um, if they're if they're using and as I say this is a hard line to draw, but if they're using their their monopoly power to suppress competition by way of willful or exclusionary conduct, that's illegal, and uh, they can be sanctioned. They're violating the antitrust laws. But if they're not doing that just merely because they're so big, doesn't make them. Uh, the, the, there's nothing illegal about uh, having a large market share or, as we say, a monopoly. Um, but when, when one is a monopoly, when a company is a monopoly, they're clearly subject to additional scrutiny. Um, and, uh, and, you know, which is entirely appropriate. And there's also certain types of conduct, exclusionary conduct or exclusive dealing, mm-hmm. dealing with one company, which a company that's not a monopoly could do, but a company that is a monopoly cannot do. Huh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, actually, if you could talk to, to me about a specific case, I, I know, like in um, during the, your time at DOJ, they, yeah. there was a case involving Microsoft right. that was a, a pretty big deal. If sure. you could maybe give me like a, a yeah. like a synopsis of what it was and sure. what lessons we learned. Well, that's from right. That. I mean, that's sort of the seminal antitrust case of recent decades. So, uh, what Microsoft clearly was a monopoly with respect to the Windows operating system. It had like a computer operating system. It had ninety percent share. Essentially, the only competitor to it was Apple, which was, you know, a small chunk of computer, the computer market in the 1990s. This was in the mid-1990s. Um, and so it had an enormous amount of power. And, w- and what Microsoft wanted to maintain its monopoly on, on computer operating systems, the Windows uh, operating system. 
and it was threatened by the rise of the internet and that people could go uh, via web browsers, like at the time Netscape Navigator, could go to the internet and perform a lot of the things that you were sort of until that time were tethered to a computer to do. <laughs> um, as we all know today, there's so many things you can do on the internet. So what Microsoft decided to do, and actually it wasn't solely about web browsers, but what they did to computer manufacturers, they said if you want our Windows operating system, which every computer manufacturer had to have, you have to install our software and not install competitor software. And so the, the, most, in, the most interesting thing was with respect to their, their web browser, Internet Explorer, which was at the time a fairly sh small share of the browser market, but, and the major company doing web browsing was Netscape Navigator. And uh, so they said, you have to install our Internet Explorer to get on, on computers to get, uh, to get Windows. In addition to that, you can install our competitors, such as Netscape Navigator. Now, consumers were still free to go online and download it, but you think about it, if you're not a computer whiz, how likely are you to right. do that? And so uh, the Justice Department brought a case against Microsoft for that, saying it was engaged in illegal acts of monopoly maintenance. Those were the wrongful acts of monopoly maintenance that they found. And uh, the district court agreed with the Justice Department and found that Microsoft had violated the antitrust laws. I mean, this conduct destroyed Netscape Navigator. I mean, <laughs> it basically went out of business a few years after Microsoft started engaging in these practices. Uh, and, uh, and at the time, actually ordered a breakup of Microsoft, saying you had to separate out the operating system from the from your software. Hmm. Uh, that, this, that was in 2000. That was taken up to the, the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. You know, it was the district court in D.C. that did that. And it was taken up to the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. And then they had a very interesting uh, result of that. They upheld the finding of liability that Microsoft had violated the antitrust laws and had engaged in illegal monopoly maintenance. But they reversed the breakup. And hmm. they said that the district court hadn't shown enough reasons why Microsoft had to be broken up and there had to be a greater showing. They remanded it down to the district court. So they didn't rule it out, but they said to the district court, you've got to show better reasons. When the case was remanded down to the district court, that was at the end of the Clinton administration. The Bush administration came in, and this gets into the political nature of antitrust. Uh, they decided they, didn't, they really wanted to settle the case. They didn't want to pursue it. So they settled it. And uh, so it never was tested whether or not the district court would once again try to break the company <laughs> up. And, um, and they settled it uh, for restraints on Microsoft's conduct for seven years, such as they couldn't do this kind of practice anymore and certain other types of practices. They had to make their operating system open to f new forms of software, what were called middleware. And uh, so that was the result of that. And what that did, many people say, it led to the rise of Google and other similar companies who wouldn't have been able to get a foothold if Microsoft could have said, you know, we're not going to let you yeah. be pre-installed onto computers. Uh, by computer manufacturers. So a, a lot of people credit the rise of Google, the rise of the internet, to the decision in the, in the Microsoft case and the settlement by Microsoft agreeing to end the, the practices that gave rise to the lawsuit. <laughs> There's a bit of irony, irony yeah, in that. There yeah. is, isn't there? Yeah. there. I mean, it's now these same cor cor corporations are, are sort of engaging in the same it's kind of practices. It's a very similar conduct. And if you want me to get more specific than that, which I can do, so one of the, you know, the Google has, it was called to account was, was by, in Europe. Mm -hmm. And faced and was found to be violating their antitrust law, what they call their competition law, uh, and was fined five billion dollars, uh, which was the largest, largest fine ever. Probably not that much to Google, but still the largest <laughs> fine ever to, to put by the EC in order to stop the conduct. And the conduct that 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 Google was doing was telling phone manufacturers, which you know everything's you know everything, many things are mobile now. So they'll mm -hmm. move from the desktop to the phone. Telling phone manufacturers if you want to get the proprietary brand of Android, which Google owns, 
you have to, the Android operating system, you have to pre-install our apps and not install competitors' apps, apps like Search and Maps and things like that. <laughs> now that sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I think uh, the, the U.S. federal government has never brought a case against Google, but they obviously right now they're investigating. I think Google faces a lot of risk in this area. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's really the roadmap to a case against Google in the United States. You can apply the precedent of the D.C. Circuit and Microsoft and it seems to me it's the conduct that Google is engaging in with respect to the Android operating system is very similar to the conduct that Microsoft engaged in with respect to the Windows hmm. operating system. Do you, I'm curious to know if, if you think that um, that it is a case that may be better like, uh, suited for an obvious breakup or not, or if they, if they well, would face the same cha- potential challenges yeah, that the Microsoft not, face. I think breakup is difficult. Yeah? You know, the last major breakup, or anything major, any breakup was the AT&T breakup in... Which was which was which was reached by consent in 1982. We mm-hmm. haven't had a breakup since then. The problem with a breakup, I know Elizabeth Warren calls for with a breakup, is that you have to establish, as the, as the Microsoft Court felt wasn't was not established, that the breakup is a necessary remedy. That it's re, it's 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 the result of it's really the only way to to solve the competitive problems. And courts are you know the other thing to say is that courts are very have become very conservative in applying antitrust law. Supreme Court and lower courts, and I think there'd be so. You know, it's one thing for Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren's elected president; she appoints an uh, assistant attorney general for antitrust who's going to pursue a breakup remedy against, bring a case and pursue a breakup remedy against Microsoft. She can do that, but <laughs> it's got to be approved by a federal court. Mm-hmm. And I'm a skeptic that a federal court would do that. Yeah. Um, so I still think a breakup remedy is fairly unlikely. Hmm. But. Uh, you know, time will tell on that. I mean, it, it is, it is interesting to me that there are these companies that were coming up either at the same time that the Microsoft case was happening or were around but really blossomed as a direct result yeah. of it that, you know, like, like Google like or Google. like the, the App Store for, for, for Apple or yeah. like, you know, like requiring a particular browser to be on something. Mm-hmm. They know full well that this is why this, yeah. this, law, this lawsuit happened and right. what happened with that. It's just fascinating to me that they don't, you know, take any kind of precautions at all to even try to mask what they're doing, you know? It's a good point. I mean, I think it's the, it's the, it's the dilemma of uh, if you have monopolists, they're going to try to take advantage in every way they can. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, but yes, that's right. It's an irony. It's an irony that the, the very kind of remedy that made Google possible is now, you know, they're, they're, try- they're doing very similar things. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it does seem like they feel almost that like... Um, like a, almost like the too big to fail yeah. kind, of, well, kind of theory, or like that they're so integral to the world right. that they shouldn't be. That's probably right. Now the other thing I we haven't talked about, and you asked me to talk about antitrust generally, and I've alluded to it, but the political nature of antitrust, yeah. because antitrust is so um, discretionary mm-hmm. and there's so much room, it's it the enforcement of it is very political. And now you know antitrust practitioners, the antitrust academy will be horrified by me saying that they think they have some great highly elevated body of law and it's you know it's it's left for the antitrust priesthood to elucidate and we are we're not affected by politics and, but that's quite the contrary um so uh you know the the people that are enforcing the laws are are, are officials appointed you know by the president and confirmed by the senate and the judges are, are politically appointed and there's so much discretion so i think one of the reasons that uh, Google has got a fair, a fair shake until the last year or two is because they were a very popular company, and particularly in the Obama administration, they were very 
well tied into the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. You know, many senior executives of Google then went over to the White House, left working at Google, and had a lot of tech jobs in the White House. And, uh, and they raised a lot of money for Obama. And it wasn't a popular thing in the Obama administration mm -hmm. to be pursuing an antitrust case against Google. And I think there, there's, there's where the political nature of antitrust was really felt. Hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, things have obviously changed. Yeah. But uh, that's the way it was, you know, when Google became a major company, it was in the late 2000s when the Obama administration started. And until the end of 2016, they, you know, they pretty much had a, they pretty much had a good, uh, a very receptive administration and, and antitrust enforcement officials. I was, I was, I remember in the, in the mid 2000s, probably right before Obama, but then definitely ex escalating during his administration, the number of lobbyists that I knew in D.C. Mm -hmm. who had were being eaten up by Google. Mm -hmm. Everybody had an account with them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had friends of mine who told me that they had accounts with Google and they were not doing almost anything at all. Hmm. But then they were convinced that they had basically bought up everybody hmm. so that there would well, be nobody to work against they them. They hadn't bought up everybody, but uh, there were a lot of people they bought up. Yeah. That's true. There was, there was also a sort of a lobby against them, but they, 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 they had a tremendous amount of political power. Um, what... I know that the one thing we have not yet talked about a little bit is, is the, um, the state AG investigations. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what do you what do you make of those and well, sort of where what do you think about what's going so on? So here, here's I, I have sort of a mixed views of that. Mm -hmm. Number one, if you think you know, wow, forty eight state AGs plus DC and Puerto Rico, that's amazing. When have you heard of that? But you think about most of those state attorneys general offices, smaller states, they're, they're antitrust division. We have the Justice Department has an antitrust division of hundreds of people. They're antitrust the federal Justice Department. Their antitrust division maybe one or two people. Right. They're not really equipped to launch a major investigation of Google or prosecution of Google on antitrust grounds. There's a, but there are a few large states, you know, states like New York, Texas, Illinois, a few large states that do have that kind of thing. But you, so the number 48, <laughs> it, maybe it may be like four or five that are really significant that are numbers. Doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, but it still, it does say, so that's the one side of it. On the other side of it, to have 48 states investigating, when also you have the Justice Department investigating it, and taking it over from the FTC a few months ago, which was, this was handled by the FTC until June of this year. Uh, that's really something. I mean, the, the Justice Department would, have take, would not have taken that case to do nothing. Mm -hmm. They're certainly going to launch a serious investigation. I think when you, when you have the confluence of 48 state attorneys generals, the DOJ, you know, newly taking it over, and then the political issues I mentioned from right and left, I think Google's in a lot of trouble um, mm. because they're being... And it, it really sets the stage. They're being sort of attacked from all sides or investigated from all sides. And it really sets the stage for a major antitrust case to be filed against them. Um, so we're in a unique moment in that regard. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, also keep in mind antitrust investigations take a long time. So probably at least a year um, from when it started, which was like over the summer. So next summer. Uh, so who knows where we'll be next summer? Who knows who, who <laughs> will be running the Justice Department's antitrust division? Yeah. And then you know it could go. It could go into. It could. That's a minimum. It could go into longer than that. If it goes into 2021, who, who who's who's going to be running the administration? Who's the president? Is going to be a Democrat or Republican? If it's Elizabeth Warren, that's because she's promised to break up these companies. That's really bad news for Google. Mm -hmm. um, if it's Joe Biden, you know he's he maybe more. He was vice president in the Obama administration. Maybe more. You know, friendly to Google. Mm -hmm. And if it's Trump, who knows? But or Pence. <laughs> but uh, um, so yeah, I mean, the, the political dimension really matters here too. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect to see a quick resolution. Mm -hmm. But under the way things currently are, um, 
I think Google has a lot to worry about. Is there is there anything that could have been done by the government before this? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you know, when I was, I left the the Senate Antitrust Subcommittee. Well, the Senate in uh, in, in the beginning of 2013. In 2011, our subcommittee had a hearing on Google. It was at the time, it was sort of a, an unusual. Everybody was saying, "What's wrong with Google?" and and with a lot of skepticism, but we had a hearing, the first one on Congress on allegations that Google engaged in anti-competitive practices. That was in September of 2011. Eric Schmidt testified, um, mm-hmm. and uh, that launched the FTC into their investigation. So they investigated Google on allegations of search bias, among other anti-competitive uh, conduct, and they decided in early 2013, to, right after actually Senator Cole left office to drop the case. I don't know if they're related. But anyway, they did, did that and to close the investigation with very minor voluntary commitments by Google. Mm-hmm. The thing about that, and nobody knew at the time, but in August of 2012, a few months earlier, the FTC staff, the Bureau of Competition staff, issued a report recommending a case being brought against Google on six different uh, claims, and they specifically noted search bias, uh, that Google was engaged in search bias, that, that is, promoting its own products and services and demoting its competitors' products and services. So at the time, the FTC could have launched, you know, could have brought a case against Google. Um, but, you know, what the FTC commissioners will say is that, well, there wasn't the support of the majority of the commission, any three votes of the five. Also, you have to understand that the people, and not just the, the staff, uh, at, these, at these agencies are inherently conservative. I don't mean politically conservative. But they, je- they do not want to bring a case they, they don't think they're convinced they could win. Right. And... Um, they weren't convinced they could win it. Hmm. Um, so uh, I think those were two reasons why uh, they decided, well, and the other reason was I think the, the cool being friendly with the administration, but um, that they decided not to bring a case. But if they had, that could have been like, we could have seen what happened in Europe happen here. You know, what happened in Europe in the last few years mm-hmm. with Android mm-hmm. and, 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 and comparison shopping cases. Uh, we could have. Now, you know, they could have lost that case too. You don't know. But I mean, they certainly had an opportunity to bring a case. Uh, I was certainly an advocate of them bringing a case at the time. <laughs> and, uh, and Senator Cole, my boss, wrote a sort of a tough letter to the FTC saying you ought to look at these things. Didn't absolutely recommend bringing a case, but certainly expressed a lot of concern about Google's practices. Hmm. Um, but so, that, so, so I think that was sort of a missed opportunity. Hmm. Well, I think w- one of the last things I'm, I think I want to do um, is uh, normally I ask uh, guests on the show um, for advice for young journalists because hmm. they're journalists. Yeah. You're not a. You're no, not not a, 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 a it's a very honorable profession, though. <laughs> well, but what would what, give, give me right. some advice that you would give like a, a young um, antitrust attorney yeah. that's getting just starting to get into this, and what would you tell them to do? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the in the in, the, in antitrust law now because of all the emphasis on uh, on vigorous antitrust uh, prosecution and and. and so I mean, I, th- I would say do one of two things: either go work for the government, and where you can have an opportunity to investigate these things, or you know you can work in the private sector and and and, and try to find clients that are interested in, in in exploring these issues. I mean, I guess you can you know you can represent Google, but <laughs> I might argue it'd be more fun to find clients that have uh, issues with Google and and that you know you don't have to wait for uh, the. Um, you know, the government to take a case, you know, antitrust law, and we didn't talk about this before, but we were talk- it provides for private causes of action where, you know, you can get treble damages, triple the damages, plus attorney's fees for, for successfully bringing a case. So, I mean, I think for somebody sort of starting out in antitrust law, there's a lot of opportunity 
to, to try to find a client like this and, um, and, to, and to, to work on these issues uh, in the private sector. Huh. So, you know, you got to find someone willing to fund litigate <laughs> yeah. and invest, but that's a hard thing. But, but I think, yeah, it's really, it's really an exciting time to be involved in antitrust with, uh, with the prominence of the issues and, and, and the interests of, of all kinds of people in, in antitrust law and trying to restore competition to various sectors. Great. Right, well, Seth, thank you very much for coming on the show I and really uh, teaching it. us thank a thing you. or three about uh, antitrust oh, law. That was great. Thank you very much. Thanks.